June 13th, 2018, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios, Andre Henry. Yo. Over there on the ones and twos, our illustrious temporary producer, the newest guy on the team, uh, my brother Chandler is out of town. Welcome to the team, Clark Flippo. What's up? And uh, on the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, author, speaker, podcaster, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. Lots of changes this week. So Eddie's out of town. Chandler's out of town. It's it's going to be a, a different dynamic. Yeah, we won't have the laugh track built in. <laughs> I, I do. I have a question too. Um, you know, along with this different dynamic, Annie, you appear. We're, we're on Sky Video. You appear to be in some sort of log cabin. So. <laughs> It's true. It's true. I just let Cameron go with it, saying I was in Nashville, Tennessee. I am not in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm at a summer camp in middle of random corner of Georgia. So I'm in. This is like a, a, a log cabin. Is the best way to put it. It's a log cabin. Are you the Are you the keynote speaker? Are you the, like the revival speaker I for am. a church yeah, camp yeah, for I youth am. camp? I'm, I do about one a summer, and I totally love this particular camp. So I'm I'm super glad to be here. And they have Wi-Fi, so I still get to be friends with y'all. Do you get to partic- Do you get to participate in the in the summer camp hijinks? Uh, if I want to, yeah, there's some of them I get to do. I they have all the you know they all go to like breakout stuff during the day, and I'm not in charge of any of that, so I can't like pop in and hang out and like make friends. So I kind of just kind of stay in my room and do work. But, you, but you're the evening speaker meals. every night. Yeah. Oh, I remember those camps. I mean, oh. by, yeah, by night remember, three, yeah. well, just by night three, I mean, you're really giving your life to the Lord, you know, and, yeah. uh, and then by night four, I mean, just mountaintop spiritual experience night five, you're back home and everything falls apart. Yeah. Oh, you hope not. Golly. <laughs> no, 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 you, you carry it, you carry it to the Sunday because, because you give a test, the youth group gives a testimony at, at church about what God did at camp. It's just the week after that. Yeah. yeah that everything falls apart. Uh, not me. My roller coaster of uh, spiritual highs and low, low spiritual lows of depravity is within the first couple hours of camp. <laughs> I and I that. stay at the low. <laughs> I stay at the low because that enables me to do really, really savage pranks that cross some serious lines. I mean, yeah. I've been banned from numerous church camps because of that philosophy. I go in there. I go in there at a low from the previous summer. I, Annie, I, I don't even wait for a person like you to speak. I'm like, God, I'm here. I'm a good person now. I get tempted. I fall into it. And then I'm just horrible the rest of camp. And what kind of I mean, Jesse, when you and your friends would go to camp, like I think we've learned enough about your friends to know that y'all are y'all are your own rabbit pack of we people. negotiated. We negotiated with a counselor right off the gate. Yeah, we said, listen, sure. you can do this. The, we can and do it was this. The the college easy guy, way. Right. It was like the college guy who. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're like, look, chief, we can do this. The easy way or the hard way. You don't want to do it the hard way. <laughs> chief. You, we we have an arrangement, you and I yeah. like this, this struggle that that we are locked in. You can turn a blind eye or we we can make this the worst week of your life. Literally. That's right. That's like, right. I've seen counselors. I've seen counselors break down and cry. <laughs> you know, like it's just coming to an agreement, right? It's like you know, you're paying off the prison warden with a carton of cigarettes, right? When you enter in, like we got a deal, chief. 
We got a deal. Man, you know? the camp I grew up going to in my church's youth group used to have the, I mean, the thing was sneaking out. That oh, was really? your goal, was to sneak out every night. And it just got to where it was almost counselors versus campers every year. You know, like, and then one like year, a massive a guy, game of tag, essentially. I mean, it's, it's. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially middle of the night tag. Yeah. Sneaking off to where? Where would you go? Oh, you just had, you just were out. Just being out was the <laughs> trick. Just being out and seeing other campers being out. That was it. There was no win. And then one of the one year I was a counselor. So I was on that side of the tag and a kid jumped into a like a ditch and there was a rattlesnake in it. And he jumped. He screams and jumps out. It didn't bite him. He screams and jumps out. And counselors are close enough because tag counselors are close enough that they realize in the next morning, the youth pastor got up and he was like, OK, for the rest of history of camp for years and years to come. Yeah. No yeah, one right. sneaks out. No counselors are out. No campers are out. Like there are snakes, and it stopped okay. it. It really did. It there stopped it because the yeah. snakes. He's just going to tell everybody that to keep them. It's I like it's there, like Cameron. I saw there in Night Shyamalan's The Village. I know, <laughs> I know how that scare tactic works. I'm telling you. I remember the last time I got in trouble at a camp. I was actually a counselor there. Um, and it <laughs> was true. like very my true. buddy. Is this a story you can tell publicly? Well, I think I think the statute of limitations has passed. It's been a couple years because they haven't asked me to help out in any church youth events. Uh, since then but like we get to like a buddy of mine at the time was like i had a friend who's like a youth pastor and he asked me to come he's like we were short on adults for this trip which baffles me why he asked me to come if that's the case how old were you uh i mean are you like in your 20s 30 yeah i don't know <laughs> no way were you really yeah this wasn't that long ago that's hilarious so, so as soon as we get to the cabin i'm like all right guys no rules if you're in my cabin literally i don't care i do not care I want to establish that right now. And they're like, for real? I'm like, absolutely. I don't care what you do. So we all snuck out. We started like a little bonfire. We all snuck out. You snuck out with your kids. Yes, exactly. You with my it. whole cabin. Of course. And like other people. And how old are the guys? Wow. Are they high school? Yeah, they're like, yeah, but they're like young high school, like 14. Like all the other, oh ca- like we were walking around and all the other cabins are like peeking out. Like, how come they get to go out past, you know, lights out or whatever? And I'm just waving to them like, because your counselor is lame. So we went out and we started. <laughs> A, a little a little oh, fire hilarious. and we did our own thing and we ran out, we ran out of firewood and so some of us counselors we did like our own exploration during the day during one of those lame activities like kickball or something like we went out exploring and we found an old abandoned barn with some old axes back there it was super cool oh though it gosh. may have been a serial killer hideout I don't know anyway yeah, for sure. we decided to hike back to the barn take one of those roll, old rusty axes and cut down like just a giant tree on the premises and we burned it as a fire (laughs) literally we're leaving the next day and the road like out of the camp like it goes by where the tree was and it was a majestic tree that had probably been there for decades and you see these people from that like work at the camp like standing around the stump with their hands on their head like how did this tree disappear in the night who would have done such a thing so you know i feel like at camp you just make your own rules you make your own fun you know yeah yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. I mean, Annie, no pressure, but like literally the, the most, well, top three most memorable spiritual experiences I've had encountering God was at youth camp. Yeah. You Me are, too. you are, that's a lot of pressure. The top three most memorable distracting people from having a memorable spiritual experience <laughs> happened at, at youth camp. The bottom three are on this podcast numerous times. 
good. No, I don't think it's pressure. I think it's awesome. I think, I think it is. I mean, there's something that, that happens when you pull away from your phone and your community and you're just with other students and your leaders. And I love it. I think it's awesome. Is it, is it a place where there's no cell signal? I mean, there is cell signal. They just don't have phones, supposedly. Supposedly. But yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. Supposedly, they don't have their phones. Yeah. I got mine. Don't you worry about that. I'm not here to get saved. I got my phone. <laughs> <laughs> saved. We uh we have a great show coming up. Um, it's this has been a a difficult week. A lot. I mean, every I could literally say that every week. Yeah. Uh, given the news, but you know, uh, a lot of conversation around what happened with Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, um, and a lot of talk about mental health and depression and suicide. Um, and we have coming up later, Jamie Torkowski, who runs an amazing organization oh, to write love on our arms. He's a good friend, um, known him for years. And uh, he's coming up later because he's been really uh, one of the leaders in that conversation in the, wow. in the, in the faith, in the faith world. So yeah, that's going to be a, a great guy. conversation. Yeah. Jamie's the best. Yeah. Uh, before we move the show along, I have some news, Annie. Okay. There's an update. On oh the, my gosh, I'm so ready. On the Hood to Coast race. I know, I know. Here we go. The Here big 200-mile relay that we're doing from oh, Mount Hood to the to the coast near Portland uh, to raise money to build uh, wells in South Sudan. Here's the big big news, big update. It's happening in late August. Jesse pulled out. I did. What? Yes, can, I tell you, can I tell you why? If as listeners to this podcast know, I have a standing trip to the Jersey Shore, a family vacation to the Jersey Shore, <laughs> which, which honestly, I look at it two ways. One, it's a family. I, it, it's We all go with Dana's family. And Cameron, you know, I've gone on this trip, what, like 12 straight years. I, I record the podcast yeah. from there every year. I do a Jersey Shore episode. Yeah. And you and, always have like the situation come through and Mike <laughs> yeah. and Polly D. Exactly. Yeah. I look at it. I look at it as part uh you know part vacation but part just research for more stories because anything goes jersey shore is very lawless as people know and anything goes up there and there's a lot of cool stories that come but um i went to go like you know officially like register for cameron's team last night and i i looked at the dates i'm like oh my gosh i i i didn't real i thought it was the previous week it conflicts with jersey shore week and there's no way i cannot go to jersey shore i would be banned from the family there's no if way I, if i missed that so cameron you you i want to say you're on your own but i like to feel like that i was sort of the wind beneath your sails on this thing how are you feeling yeah, you were, knowing you were sure you're gonna carry the load that, knowing that like Scotty Pippen, or maybe maybe in this scenario, no offense, I'm probably Jordan. You're Pippen. That Jordan's out, is it? <laughs> dude, dude, in this scenario, I'm Bill Cartwright. All right, let's be honest. Oh man, yeah, I know. I'm 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 nervous now. I mean, we still have you know a full team, but yeah. You know. I mean, Cameron, what's the update on your leg though? Uh, stress fracture. I'm in a walking cast oh, right now. No. Oh my gosh. I, Cameron, I can't. Can I, you? I haven't been able to run. Let's just, Cameron. Can we just give money and you just stay home? No, 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 no. How much money could we raise to get Cameron to stay you home? You cannot hobble this race. I know. I need to, I, I, my goal is 10,000 to run it. If y'all triple it, then maybe I'll, I'll back out. <laughs> Cameron, how about this? A race wheelchair. Those those are super fast. Isn't a wheelchair just a race wheelchair? No, they, they, they have race wheelchairs. I think it's called a bicycle. I think you're thinking of a bicycle. And it's hood to coast, so it's mostly downhill. Your main thing is braking the whole time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, something's going to break. 
So, so my my hand grip, my my hand, I gotta be working out my my uh, grip strength. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and the, the other thing is, I mentioned when we had our listener of the week on last week, she worked at like a running shoe store, and I asked if there were like carbon fiber blades for people that aren't amputees, like that they could just connect to their shoes and get that kind of hop. And some people on Twitter sent me these things called kangaroos, and it what? is a boot. Yeah. It is a boot with these carbon fiber springs that you can kind of no like leap forward with giant strides. Camera. I think I think that the flex in the carbon fiber would release would would give you relief to your stretch factor. If we pitch in to get you a pair, they're like three hundred bucks. How open would you be to oh kangarooing the hood to the coast oh, race? No, I know that I uh, the Orlando Magic hype crew wear them, and there's there's uh, people down at like Universal City Walk and stuff that wear them, and they, they do like backflips. Yeah, stuff. I've seen oh I've seen Beetlejuice gosh. do a game. These are all over those. Orlando. Basically, Mayor Dyer wears these things. <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is the primary mode of transportation in Orlando, Florida. Is these springy shoes required footwear at many places of employment. Little known fact. I mean, when you when you <laughs> drive to work in the morning in Orlando, it's people just hopping around town. I mean, everybody yeah. uses easy at the yeah. point A to point. They don't even use crosswalks. You just bound your way over cars. It's it's a it's a part of the sustainability effort here. Right. It's like right. it's, we don't have very good public transportation. So we just, you know, we, we built into the tax system that every citizen gets, you know, the trash cans that you put out the side of the road. Yes. And you get the springy shoes. It's just really cutting down on the emissions right. around yeah. here. And, right. and the yeah. thing is, it's like every day is living in a, a, a level of Mar- Super Mario Brothers. It's fantastic. You just, <laughs> like, you just jump everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Did you what did the doctor say? Let's let's back up to your actual injury. Like, did he say, yeah, sure, you'll be running a race by August. No, it doesn't matter. I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, oh my gosh. I, I'm not in pain anymore. The walking cast in a matter of three, four, five days has radically transformed my pain and swelling situation. I, I, I think I'll be back to normal before you know it. I'm, <laughs> I'm still working out in this thing. I mean, I'm not able to do the running, but I, I'll, I'll do the strength and other conditioning that I can in the boot. Hey, Cameron, it's fine. this is, real, not this is a about real it. question because this is raising money for a very good cause. <laughs> right. How much would it take for for us to raise for you to hop this thing in those blade kangaroo shoes. Like if <laughs> we committed question. listener, cause right now it's 10,000. If we get to like 15, will you do it in the kangaroos? No, I, I don't want to. I mean, there's 25 I mean, there's tens of thousands of people that run this thing. This is a big, a big race. This isn't like Boston marathon, New York marathon, but it's, you know, tens of thousands of people. Yeah. It's a 200 mile relay race. It was 24 hours. It's a big race. And you don't want to be the one guy out there. Hopping. I don't think it's tens of thousands of people. I'm not going to but show up in springy boots <laughs> because Jesse thought it'd be funny. $100,000, Cameron. If, they, if, okay. if, if oh we can raise 100000 will you do it in the kangaroo boots? That's a lot of, that's a lot of wells. $100,000 and Cameron will hop the race in kangaroo shoes. Is that a deal? That is so much money. Because, hey, listen, we can get this thing filmed and you're the, I just, I'm just picturing like everyone at the starting line, like these face of athletes, like with a tense like a focus. They're all, it's, it's the Pacific Northwest fog lifting over the horizon. Everyone's stretching and then it like pulls out and Cameron's hopping around on the sideline, getting ready, getting ready of like, a, of literally three miles of hopping. I think that's worth a hundred thousand dollars. I I agree with you, man. I mean, hey, I, the only reason why I'm doing this is number one, like you do your psychological endurance challenges to see if you can do it, to see what you're capable of. I'm doing it because I've in my entire life I've never done anything like this, never would do anything like this. So it's like, can I? 
That's a major question I still have yet to answer. The answer is no. The answer is no. You have a broken foot. The answer is actually no. You cannot uh, do this. Once again, once again, Annie, Cameron, don't listen to those voices of discouragement. You can do it, and you can do it with kangaroo carbon fiber. This is a voice of friendship shoes. trying to save your. But the main foot. thing, the main thing is to raise money to build wells for South Sudan and and bring clean water to people who need it. So. I mean, if you're saying that I can have greater impact by I doing am. the springy kangaroo shoes, I'm going to yeah, look at the race bylaws today to find out you <laughs> that you know that that's not against any kind of rule. But a hundred grand's a big target. But I think I think you would inspire the world if people just saw you <laughs> jumping down Mount Hood. In, you in would be our slice spring. the next yeah, week, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. How do you? Yeah, wait, I didn't think about that because we're going to start at six thousand feet elevation and go down to zero. How do you go downhill in kangaroo boots? That's like four. It's only like four hops. It's only four very dangerous <laughs> hops. Four hops. Four dangerous <laughs> hops. I mean, I'm thinking because like that thing's going to spring you because you're at an angle. Oh that thing's going to spring you out. I mean, like, you're oh, you're covering a lot of territory. It can't, again, oh, again, $100,000. This is going to be great. A lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the $100,000 memorial fund. Uh, oh my it? gosh, Cameron! <laughs> <laughs> that escalated so quickly. Well, I don't know. I'd make it down. Hey, I'm going to legit contact the company that makes those kangaroo shoes and be like, "This is the PR opportunity of a lifetime, and all it's going to cost really you is hundred thousand dollars." Do it, Jesse. This is the IHOB of racing. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of which, it is time for our look back at what happened this week in culture and entertainment. It's time for. In case you missed it. Hey, in case you missed it, the, uh, this week uh, NFL star Malcolm. Malcolm Jenkins did an entire interview using protest signs. The Eagles star safety gave the unique interview after the White House announced that the Super Bowl champs would uh, be disinvited from visiting, which is customary for all the champions. Um, The White House cited demonstrations during the national anthem, even though no member of the Eagles took a knee during the anthem all year. Using a series of handwritten posters, Jenkins explained to reporters about the injustices that players are concerned about. He wrote, You're not listening. More than 60% of people in prison are people of color. Chris Long gave his entire year's salary to educational initiatives. Colin Kaepernick gave $1 million to charity. In 2018, 439 people were shot and killed by police thus far. Man. Powerful. Yeah. And went, went viral. Yeah. Did y'all listen to the most recent This American Life episode had uh, was about a, a high school in a prison in New Orleans. Have y'all heard about this? Yeah, Yeah, I listened to it last night. Yeah, it's such a beautiful story and hard story, but of them really doing like an actual high school in a prison. And when I was listening to the story, they said they're talking about the prison and they are like, and every student in the high school is black. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, wait, like for some reason that line really stuck out to me. Like they just told that as part of the story that these teachers are going in. And it's an amazing story of how they're getting high school de- degrees, but how, how it's, it seems to be an unfair, a little bit of an unfair system. Yeah. 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 Sure. And that's the whole thing that the, those demonstrations are trying to draw attention to. And on that, and, and, you know, in that respect, I think they've been pretty effective. I think people are more aware of those injustices, you know, I mean, but 80% of the people who have an opinion about the NFL demonstration still think that they're protesting the national anthem or the flag. Yeah. Right. They're, they're ignorant. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of surprised to hear you say that, Jesse, because I, that's my understanding, too, is that when you talk about the protests, people are 
genuinely think that this is about we should respect the veterans we should respect america you should be proud of your country i mean they're getting the entire point wow deep voice yeah, well, that, that was the NFL fan. That was the ignorant <laughs> NFL fan impression. I'm not saying they haven't been yeah. misinterpreted by a broad audience, but I also think they're creating conversations that wouldn't happen otherwise by the people who do yeah. understand mm-hmm. what it's about. I had an interesting uh, conversation with just some random person on Twitter over the weekend. I've been following more conservative voices on Twitter just so that I'm not only hearing yeah. people that agree with me. It's important. You know, and um, this guy, his name is Billy Kirk, uh, and... I think I was following, I think he was following something the NRA said, and we got into this discussion where we're going back and forth about that kind of thing, about respecting your country, all that kind of stuff. And I was, it was surprising because usually I just get really frustrated with those kind of conversations and be like, all right, I'm going to block you now. But we went back and forth and really got to challenge some of the things that he said. And he asked some really good questions of me. And at the end, it was just like, man, you know, I don't want to talk to you anymore, but this was really fun. We both, like we had that exchange at the end. I wonder Did how other people jump in, Andre? No, no one else jumped in, which is also surprising. It was just me yeah. and Billy Kirk. You, you know what's what's interesting, kind of along those lines, is you know I was after the you know tragic news about Anthony Bourdain kind of broke this week. You know I was listening to some old interviews and things with him, and he talked about kind of that same thing, Andre, to a degree of making an effort to listen to people. Like part of his ethos was to listen to people that think differently than him. Like he was politically pretty progressive, but would actively seek to have meals with people who thought dramatically different. And he's like, you know, his point was at some point, everyone can enjoy a good meal, no matter what you believe. And to start with those common points of humanity, it's like at least you get outside the echo chamber, even if no one leaves with their minds changed, at least they can see kind of the humanity in the other side. I think that's why we have to keep telling our stories, right? I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that no matter where you sit on any spectrum, you should tell your story because we need to hear each other and what we're experiencing, even if it doesn't change our minds. Yeah. That'll preach. You should say that tonight at camp. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I feel like I might have taken this somewhere else that I might regret if it makes it onto the air in this this way. Because as I think about it, I think like the whole reason of having to sit down and use a bunch of posters and say this is what's going on is the fact that there is one side of the conversation that is being dismissed and not being listened to and being silenced. And at some point you do have to say like, you know what? Like sometimes, you know, one of these perspectives is right. You know, like let's come to the table and let's talk, let's have a meal. And at the same time, like, Listen to us. Yeah, <laughs> there, are, yeah. yeah there are times. Yeah, yeah. you're right. I, I think I, I think the, I was uh, just saying they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Like I'm not saying I'm not yeah, not yeah. to discount yeah. the protests, but that uh, or, or yeah. any other means to get people's attention. But like you were saying, Andre, engaging in those conversations can also be a fruitful exercise. Well, yeah, I'm, I just agree with you, Andre. I think what you did. You were probably way right in the conversation with that guy, but what you did by listening to him was sitting down at the table with him. Yeah, I think a good example of this is Colin Kaepernick himself, right? Like he started by not standing for the anthem at all. He said, I'm not going to stand for the anthem because it's a contradiction. You know, we have all these democratic creeds, all these anti-democratic practices. And he spoke with an, with a veteran that got him to compromise on kneeling instead of just sitting down, you know, and maybe that's a good example of how that comes together, you know? Man, how could he have ever imagined that one decision spiraling into this? Yeah. 
not bad spiraling, just growing, you know, yeah. just like tornadically spiraling into it being such a national conversation and so many people involved. I, I think what you're saying is key though, about like, I think a lot of people who in, in some perspectives might be on the wrong side of, or have the wrong perspective on a situation. It, you know, having maybe some grace for the fact that they might just literally live in a bubble yeah. where they don't know the other yeah. the correct perspective. So yeah. continuing to say, no, yeah. this is what it's about. I remember there was an interview um, a year after the election, uh, CNN kind of, they, you know, they do those, it's almost like tedious to watch, but like during the election season, they'll have like focus groups, you know, on yeah. TV and then, you know, of different perspectives and raise your hand, this, that, whatever. They, they, a year later, they called back one of the groups and it was, ha- it was like four or five people and it was maybe six, seven. And it was like half very strong Trump supporters and half who had been Clinton supporters. And they were just talking about the state of things. And one of, one of the things that struck me was th- one of the ladies who was a very ardent Trump supporter was so proud of the statement, make America great again. Mm-hmm. And one of the other people that were in the group, uh, African-American guy, you know, that was troubling to him. That phrase was troubling to him yeah. and she couldn't understand it because from her context, she's just talking about, and I, in her mind, she shared that it was that America had lost its place in the global stage, that America, yeah. you know, manufacturing, job strength, uh, military strength, that we had become too passive in the global context. And so she saw it as make America great, great again in the global context. Well, how could you disagree with that? Yeah. And he said, it's not make America great that I disagree with. It's a word again. Yeah. Because yeah. as a black man in America, when was America great for me and mm-hmm. my community? Right. Yeah. And she, her jaw drops and she had never understood. Yeah. She just saw the, the liberals, you know, picking that phrase apart and it made her more ardent and more bold yeah. to defend it yeah. because she saw it as a globalism thing and, and she wasn't going to stand for, you wipe and make an America the same as just Germany and every other European country. You know, that's how she saw uh-huh, it. She uh-huh. never saw it through the eyes of an African-American man who saw it, you know, th- let's go backwards, more oppression, more racism, more right. bigotry, more. No, no, I don't want that America. Yeah. Let's make it great. Like it's never been before. And then she, all of a sudden understood that it was the word again, that was dividing America. Yeah. And she never saw it like that. It changed her worldview. It changed everything. She still supported Trump. <laughs> but she had more empathy and understanding for what it was, what was har- harming other people and hurting other people yeah. in her verbiage. And it was just like, that wouldn't have happened had he not stood up and said something, yeah. you yeah. know, like, no. And I feel like what these guys, the NFL guys are doing is like, they keep pounding it. They are not anti-America. They're not anti-anthem. They're right. not anti-flag. Yeah. They're trying to change the conversation right. to this other thing. And hopefully the media or the national narrative will, you know, there will be eyes opened and there'll be understanding. Yeah. But come on. Hey, in case you missed it, (laughs) (laughs) United United pursuit worship leader blew away the judges on America's got talent this week. Uh, Some viewers may have recognized the voice of Michael Ketterer. He's released several worship albums over the years with United pursuit. Um, but he was a new name to Simon Cowell and the judges on America's Got Talent. So this week, his appearance on the show went viral after he told his powerful personal story. He's a pediatric mental health nurse, and he and his wife have six children, five of whom were adopted from foster care. His cover of To Love Somebody this week brought the crowd and the judges to their feet. Uh, Simon Cowell even walked on stage and hugged him afterward. Here, uh, here's a clip. 
stuff yeah i i'm still a sucker for those like i don't watch i don't actively <laughs> like america's got talent's the only one i will watch because the especially really? especially you watch the whole no, no, show no, no, i don't watch the whole show it's the only one i'll even if i'm flipping through i'll watch early on because there's a good chance there's gonna be like a novelty act of someone like juggling chainsaws yeah. while hopping around on kangaroo <laughs> blades you know it's just it's just <laughs> nba halftime shows combined with some singers well he <laughs> cut the singers out and that's perfect i you know me i love <laughs> i love halftime shows my favorite time of halftime shows are the kind that clearly what was planned fell through at the last minute and they got to get oh the local gosh. guy with seven frisbee dogs out there you know like i love <laughs> i love halftime shows where anything is about to go horribly horribly wrong but i will say this i i i'm a sucker for these these moments that go viral on singing shows i don't know why but it still gets me it still it still gets me even though i don't watch them this was a great great moment <laughs> There you go. All right. In case you missed it, uh, I, you mentioned IHOP earlier. The Savage Wendy's Twitter account ruined Ooh. IHOP's announcement that they were now the International House of Burgers. This week, the former Pancake House revealed that the B in, in IHOP, their new name, stands for burgers. This has got to be a joke, right? Surely no. they're going to switch back. I, I have strong feelings that Annie is correct. I, I, I yeah. think it is the most brilliant yeah, marketing ploy to change the narrative and say, "Hey, we have great burgers too," and then they're going to go back to being just dude. I think for sure they're not going to pay to the change second all the, signs. They, the second I see, yeah, millions of signs getting ten thousand dollars each to get swapped out yes. is when I'll believe yes. it. I, I dude, same, I think this camera. is. I think they might try to play it off, but I think this is a Crystal Pepsi moment, like a giant product <laughs> really? launch for something that no one asked for and no one wants. I think it's just or like when Colgate. <laughs> do y'all remember when Colgate made frozen dinners? No, no, the toothpaste no. brand. Yes, yes. What? It, this is the same. Yes, Google it. Colgate made frozen dinners for a minute, and this feels like that. Well, it didn't take long for Wendy's, who owns the most savage Twitter feed on the internet, to take aim at the new burger rival. They tweeted. Remember when you were like seven and thought changing your name to Thunder Bear Sword would be super cool? <laughs> like that, but our cheeseburgers are still better. And then it followed it with so uh, not, not, um, oh, and, and then, uh, there was another one where like they were commenting on it and, and one of the people, you know, tweeted them and said like, ooh, y'all nervous about a competitor? And, uh, the Wendy's reply was not really afraid of the burgers from a place that decided pancakes were too hard. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> hey, I got, I got a piece of advice. For IHOP that comes from the wire. If you're gonna uh, if you're gonna shoot for the king, you best not miss because oh, yeah. dude, speaking of king, did you see what they did? Burger King Burger changed king. their entire Twitter persona, their cover, their name to Pancake King. Yeah. And they have pancakes <laughs> as their cover photo and um yeah. Steakums changed theirs too to Cakeums. Did you see that? Oh, they changed their no. entire Twitter feed to Cakeums. Um, I, my favorite. Okay, so Wendy's obviously is the most savage. Taco Bell's pretty good. Yeah, but I I don't know if you guys follow Moon Pies. You know no. those those weird Southern. <laughs> really? Moon, Moon Pies has a great Twitter existed. account. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, the whole thing. So they have Nashville. this whole self-aware, self-deprecating <laughs> Twitter feed. It's really funny. Yeah. Uh, Moon Pies is great. And um, <laughs> Wendy's is great. And then who's the other one? Oh, uh, Hot Pockets. They're in on it. Yeah. Uh, Hot yeah. Pockets oh, wow. is pretty good. Yeah. Pop-Tarts as well. Because Pop-Tarts had this whole thing on Twitter, like, is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? Oh, oh yeah! <laughs> is a pop tart a ravioli? That's an amazing before. question. So, so when that of course went, it is. When that went viral, pop tarts on Twitter chimed in, and and they became one of those brand personas too. It's really maybe funny. I'm wow. just hungry, yeah. but all How of a sudden I have an irresistible craving for both pop tarts and ravioli right now. Like both sound <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Man, ravioli out of the can is the best and the worst. Like it's so gross and so good. It is. It is. It is like the first bite is like this was a great decision. Halfway through their can, and it's like, what have I become? Like I'm living like Seriously? I'm in like a post apocalyptic <laughs> dystopia. For for no reason. This is a horrible decision. <laughs> Cohen has recently discovered the Chef Boyardee, Chef Boyardee little mini raviolis and stuff, and that's like all he asks for anymore. I mean, oh, yeah. obviously wow. you have to ration it out, but yeah. They're, I mean, what is the meat inside of those? I don't, I, we really don't want to know. We don't want to know that secret. You know what this reminds me of? Have you seen uh, David Chang's new Netflix show, Ugly Delicious? No. It came out no, a couple I months ago. I just heard about I've it at dinner last it. night, though. Someone was telling me. So I went, I was talking to Jesse about this. I, 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 this entire weekend, I had no plans. So I watched an Anthony Bourdain marathon. Okay. I, the travel channel had, um, no reservations on, uh, and, and yeah. like nonstop. And it was, it was interesting because no reservations obviously put him on the map after his, uh, kitchen confidential book and all that. And, and, the you know, 10, 15 years ago, but it ended around 10 or 11, okay. somewhere around there. So it was just interesting to see Anthony Bourdain 10 years ago. And then, like, then switch over and watch the CNN um, uh, show as well. Yeah. But anyway, I was watching that nonstop. After a while, just like, I mean, literally after like 24 hours of it, I was like, I should mix this up. <laughs> wow, but I was, wow. like in a, I was like in a food world. So I ended up watching David Chang's Ugly Delicious. And it's really good. And, it, and it's, it's just an interesting contrast for, of an, an evolution of what Anthony started. Mm. Um, he actually gets a little bit more uh, global. And, and, and he gets into issues of race and classism and different things. It's really interesting, like through food, illuminating yeah. bigger conversations, but ugly delicious. His whole thing is he's a, you know, one of the world, world renowned fine dining. He, he started Mama Fuku, um, in Brooklyn and he has an empire now, but, uh, but he loves junk food and he loves simple food and he loves like ravioli beef ravioli from Chef yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> and so it's like him like taking all his fine dining friends and some of it is introducing them to the food he loves and uh. then like also kind of breaking down like so society and like what this food means to us and like wow. all this. It's really so is great. it a series or a long documentary, Cameron? Uh, eight episode series. So oh, it's cool. a each standalone, kind of like Anthony Bourdain, but he'll yeah. take like one theme, like he'll do like barbecue or he'll do tacos yeah, did, or He did pizza. a hot chicken one, right? A Nashville hot chicken one? He, uh, he did a fried chicken one uh, and okay. and that was one narrative of it but it was so interesting how he went from tokyo to you know all over the world looking at how every culture loves fried chicken but it is uniquely racist in america and he talked about the slave yeah. history yeah. of why that happened and like because he david chang didn't really understand the, the racial implications of loving fried chicken or for certain races to love fried chicken uh -huh. in America. So he got into it with some like African-American historians and stuff and like really learned. And it was eye-opening, man. Wow. It was like, I watched this one just last night. It was, wow. it was powerful. That and it was just amazing. like exploring fried chicken. It was just like, yeah. 
All I can hear is Dave Chappelle talking about fried chicken right now. He played those clips. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was the thing. He said watching that episode was one of the first times he realized like, huh, wait, there was something more to this than I realized yeah. as mm-hmm. a Korean American. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. Crazy. Watch it. Ugly, del- ugly, delicious. Yeah. It's a really good. Ugly, series. delicious. All right. Hey, in case you missed it, uh, Jessica Chastain partly credited Bible teachings for being a leader in the gender equality movement in Hollywood. The Hollywood Reporter wow. cover story titled How Jessica Chastain Emerged as a Leader for Gender Equality opens with Chastain quoting the idea of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. The story explains Terrence Malick is the one who brought the precisely religion-free Chastain the word during the production of Tree of Life. Terry is an incredible thinker and a very religious person and working on that character uh, that is the embodiment of grace. I read a lot of teachings. That's the one um, that's the one that struck me the most. If we could just do that, I think we'd solve every problem, right? Uh, Terrence Malick frequently incorporates scripture into his films. Um, along with becoming a leading voice in, uh, in the uh, Time's Up movement, she's become an advocate for equal pay, particularly for women of color. She recently founded the female-led Freckle Films, which gives actresses equity in the movies they star in. She also worked with Oscar-winning actress Octavia Spencer to help her negotiate a salary five times higher than the one she was originally offered. She explained I love that story. I knew women of color got paid less than Caucasian actresses. What I didn't know is someone of Octavia's level who had an Oscar and two Oscar nominations, how much less she would be getting paid. Um, when she told me what she was making, that's what really made me go, hold up. That doesn't, compu- that doesn't compute in my brain. I care more about what Octavia is getting paid than what I'm getting paid because I've got a great life. I'm more concerned about her than I am about me. Equal pay for equal work. Mm. Come on. Wow. Come on. I like I mean, it. that's one of the interesting spaces or interesting problems in the preaching space, too, is in any spaces, you don't know what other people are making. Hmm. Uh. And so you have no idea. It, there's there's in, no transparency. In a lot of these, yeah, there's no transparency. And I don't know how you get transparency, but in a lot of these spaces, like for actresses, they they just didn't know what each other was making, so they couldn't stand up for each other, right? And, and the same is a little bit true in a lot of different jobs and in the job I'm in. You just have no idea what other people are making. And so you just are grateful. And I am, but it is, it is really, it is something interesting. That camp, they're offering you free meals, <laughs> a warm cot. No, no, no. And, and I know. Free I, player I blade jumpers, kangaroos. Listen, I don't want, I'm not complaining. I am merely saying, I am very, y'all know me. I'm very happy. I have an awesome life. I'm not complaining about anything. I'm just saying in y'all's jobs, it's probably true too. Cameron, you don't know what your peers are making. Right. Other people who run, you don't know. None of us. It's one of the most interesting parts is of work is you don't actually know in majority of fields what your peers are making. Cameron, do pastors you have don't peers? know what other pastors are making. Yeah. I have friends. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've, I've never thought of it. I, I don't care what they make. I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, you don't care what they make unless you heard that they were making three times. If you were, if you were being brought in, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, but that's different because, like, I, I, with relevant, like, if I want to make more, I need to make relevant more successful. You know, sure, so sure, like, sure. it's a little bit different than being a speaker and getting a fee. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But when you think about those actresses and just think, man, as soon as she knew, as soon as Jessica Chastain knew, she stepped in for Octavia Spencer, and probably Octavia Spencer had no idea how much 
the discrepancy was. But and I think her, that's really cool. Shouldn't her agent know? I mean, that, yeah, Octavia doesn't need to know, but her representation should absolutely yeah, her, know. All these agencies know. They know. I mean, they know what they're. They know what they're negotiating for other clients of their own. You know, yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. That bothers me. Like she needs to fire her agent. Yeah, I'm like, I'm I'm kind of fired up and trying to hold it in a bit. Because no, I don't just, want you to. That's what I want. Go, let it, go, let go, it loose. Go, go. Let it loose. I mean, it just speaks to me about like people typically know that the world is unjust. It's, I mean, like there there's someone who knows, just like you said, like the agents know. And this is all tied to like when we talk about Time's Up, Me Too, um, even tying back to other stories we talked about today to discrepancies in the criminal justice system. People know that these things exist, but for some reason everyone stays in line, you know? And I've been mm. reading a lot about this um, it, just personally, just about how societies work and how they change and talking about why do people go along with these things? And a huge part of it is that, you know, there is a mass of bystanders and people who could do something. It's, it's all about participation, right? Like that's how these things are maintained is that people just go along with it and they don't realize that they can take the authority. They can, they can take power away from who we think are power holders. You know, so we tend Mm -hmm. to think that like, there's one, there are these like, there's like a billionaire at the top of this one company, right? Um, Harvey Weinstein, for instance, right? And he has power and we think of power as like an object, like, like the coffee cup that's in front of me, you know, and you have to take that power away from him to change things. But really at the end of the day, it's all of the people that are enabling him that have yeah. the power and they can take that power away from him. And so when I think about this thing with like Jessica Chastain, like it takes people who are a part of that system, who are participants or what, whatever role to say, you know, I'm not going to go along with this anymore. Mm-hmm. But but the other thing that about the Jessica Chastain story, too, along with kind of, you know, helping with the negotiations for Octavia Spencer's um, latest contract, like even creating new models that rethink things that that enable institutional um, discrepancies and injustices like, you know, the new like the film company she started the first movie that it's producing stars Lupita Nyong'o. And, you know, in addition to paying her, it's also giving her and the other people who star in it equity. And so it's like, I'm going to think of a new model that hopefully down the road can look for a long-term institutional solution. Right. You know, I don't know that that's the solution, but it's interesting kind of with that approach that maybe there are actually new models out there too that can, you know, provide institutional solutions. It's like how a bunch of actors said, we're not signing any contracts unless there's a diversity writer in there or something like right. that. You know, mm-hmm. it takes that for people who are involved in whatever it's, it's, it's when the, it's when NFL players say, you know what, like if you're going to treat uh, our teammates that protest this way, we're not going to play, you know, it's right. in each of those it, situations, it, the, the business will adapt because I, the studio want this A-list star in my movie. And but, so what you're saying is it's the artists, not the agents. And not the people, it's the artists who need to be standing up, not the people negotiating the contracts. Every single person in every situation has power is what I'm saying. And they can refuse it. I mean, like the agent, if nothing else needed to, in my mind, make Olivia Spencer aware of 
this is what we're up against. Yeah. And I yeah. want you to know transparently that studios are offering my other female clients X amount and yeah. they're offering you X amount. Yeah. And I'm fighting the good fight, but I'm just telling you what I'm up against. I mean, he should have been telling her that because it sounded like she didn't know, you know, like you said, like you don't know what the other actresses are making. And then all of a sudden now she can be more vocal. She's an Oscar winner. Yeah. She yeah. is a prize cast, you know, like she is yeah. somebody that will make your, your film great. Yeah. So it's like, she can start putting her foot down or, or empowering him to put his foot down versus just going, oh, yeah, I'd love to be in that movie. And yeah, sure. Whatever they're offering, I'll take, you know, that kind of a thing, yeah. you know, like Man, be that more is aware. so high risk though. Yeah, it is. Right. Yeah. And it's a, high, it's a high risk because everyone else is going along with the modus operandi, right? Everyone else is going along with the status quo, you know? I, I, I used to be on a board of trustees for a university. And one of the things that shocked me coming from being a small business, because me, like, I, it wouldn't, this whole pay inequity just baffles me. I mean, like, it was just because, like, I, I grew up with uh, uh, my parents owned their own company 50 50. They had 200 employees. My mom's a CFO. She kind of runs the business. My dad's, mm-hmm. he runs the product side. And they're, they're partners. Our, our dinner table every night was their daily wrap up meeting. And I just, you know, eight year old beat my chicken just listening to them talk about personnel <laughs> issues and the day's deposit and stuff like that. Ravioli so right out of a can and <laughs> over here. And, Pizza, and, tacos, fried chicken. And so I just know, I just saw their approach to it and she was a peer to my dad. Like yeah. I, I'm, I was raised by powerful women yeah. and, and, uh, and then when I started relevant, it would never even occur to me. I pay for talent and experience. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care what gender or color you are. I want you to come and apply your talent experience here and help us grow. And, you know, we have different tiers, you know, for directors and managers and new employees, you know, but like, I don't think about any other factor other than qualifications. And then like, I was on this board at um, Oral Roberts University. I was on the board of trustees for five years. And it was fascinating to see how academia does pay. They have hard, hard numbers. I mean, like, there's no, I mean, like, there's no negotiation. There's no well, we'll pay men this and women this or anything. There is like, oh, you are X number of years in, you are mm-hmm. this tier position and this is what it pays. And that's just it. And I thought that was fascinating wow. and almost like not a model. I, I wouldn't say I, we should adopt that in capitalism, but like it was fascinating to see that it really was a thing of like, oh, well, I did X, Y, and Z. And so I get to go up a tier now, Yeah, you know? And like, there was no negotiations, Wow, which I thought was fascinating. Like uh-huh. for, you know, a different approach to compensation discussions, yeah. you know, maybe academia is onto something. I don't know. Anyway. And there's transparency too. The complete transparency to Annie's point. I know exactly what the other professors are making, yeah. you know, like I know exactly what the support staff is making. Well, I mean, it's, it's the same way the military operates. Like it's, it's about ranking, you know, like, right. and I'm not saying it's a perfect model, but I'm just saying there's transparency there, you know, and aren't churches like that. I mean, don't, cause they're nonprofits. Don't they have to kind of do an annual report to the, to the tithers that, Here's here's where the money goes. When I worked in church, I didn't know how much anybody was making on staff with me. Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing, man. I mean, y'all know this real well, but when money and Jesus, when Christian stuff and money stuff get mixed up, that's why I think that's why he talks about it all the time is because it never stressed him out. It just stresses us out. You know? (laughs) Yeah. See, I went to a church growing up. I just again, kid, I just remember this like. Once a quarter, they would put the church budget in the bulletin, including salary. But would it salaries. say what the pastor was getting out of the budget? Because at the 100%. bottom of every, I mean, really? we see the giving so it, at the bottom at churches. We saw his, but... we saw his salary. He made $65,000. Oh. Wow. I mean, that, 
I saw a salary. I mean, mm. like I remember as a kid going, "Oh, that's what he makes." I thought he would make more than that. You know, like I mean, <laughs> yeah. And you were like, "I'm not becoming a yeah, pastor. I'm not going to the ministry." <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember. I mean, this is years ago. Uh, you know, one of our friends, a uh, pastor of Quest in uh, Seattle, Eugene Cho, just stepped down. He announced he just yeah. or he's going to be stepping down from his church. And uh, I was at a, I was at a gathering of of leaders. This was a smaller gathering, but he shared this openly and he shared it with many talks, but he, he, he was talking about, um, you know, kind of their ministry and what they're doing. And he, he runs an organization called one day's wages. And he started to talk by going, he stood in front of, I mean, this is a room of kind of like a lot of powerful, big ministry, like the heads of major NGOs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he stood up and he goes, my name is Eugene Cho. I, I run an organization called one day's wages. I make $65,000 a year. And that's how he started his talk. Wow. And it was complete transparency. And he was saying, we need to change the way that the church talks about money. Yeah. And we also, you know, everybody can give something sacrificially. Everybody can give and make a greater impact. I don't care. He's like $65,000 in Seattle, Washington is actually not much money. We have to live, yeah. you know, in some cities, that's a lot of money in Seattle. It's not. And my family and I da da da. And he talked about, and he said, but still, the the ethics, the ethos of giving sacrificially is something that we've adopted. And, and, and that's what his talk was about. But I was just like, it was so refreshing that he did that. Yeah. That he opened it up that way. I had so much respect for Eugene after that. Man. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. it's even like, you know, I mean, years ago after, I mean, I don't think it was like any surprise for someone like, like a Rick Warren who has a, a book that sells you know, it's in every bookstore in the world. And, you know, Purpose Your Life was this like giant hit. And he started reverse tithing, you know, and it's like he's not mm-hmm. asking other people to do that, but he started giving away 90% and keeping 10, you know. Um, yeah. He, and just he, like, and I can, I can tell you, I, I've known Rick for years. He's a friend and a, and a, like a mentor. Like he's changed my life. Yeah. And, and that is real. He, when I Purpose Your Life broke out, he repaid every dollar that the church ever paid him in salary. He paid it back to the church. And then he started living on 10% and giving 90% of all the income. And he still lives that way. I mean, wow. still. That's awesome. He lives in the same house that he lived in when they started the church 30 years ago. Wow. He drives a modest truck. I mean, like he's he just wants to live this out in a way that say, hey, I mean, it's awesome that the Lord's blessing and there's millions of dollars coming to me, but I want to impact the kingdom. And he's like, he's just living like completely selfishly. And there, I mean, there are some people who impact the kingdom by doing it differently than that. Of but course. I yeah. love what he's, I mean, yeah. I think he's mm-hmm. amazing. I, yeah. I can't, I can't say enough about Rick. I mean, like he, yeah. that guy has given his life to, to it. He's the real deal. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, he's been raising up generations in, in Rwanda. I mean, he's, he's got a global, you know, strategy for how the church can, can can lift people out of systemic poverty and yeah. change lives and yeah. address pre- pre- preventable diseases. And now, after the tragedy that he and his family went through a few years ago, uh, with the son taking his life, he's he and Kay are leading voices within the church talking about mental health and, yeah. and issues that the church never talked about. Yeah, I mean, Rick Warren, y'all. Come on, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It okay. always goes back there. Lastly, uh, in case you missed it. Sweet. Kanye West said that the title of his latest album, Yay, is a reference to the Bible. Oh, this guy. This is it, well, guy. here's the question. Is it, is it, is it ye or yay? Like in Yeezy. Or is in like Yahweh Con, or something or like that. Or Kanye. I don't know. Yeah. Is, does it, does it have anything to do with the name of God? 
No, well, surely not. Yeah, here's what he says. He said he said that the album title isn't a play on his nickname Yeezy, but it's a reference to the Bible's frequent uh, addresses to humanity, Uh, as in the King James version of the Bible, like "Judge not that ye okay be not judged," and "Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, stayeth your God." He explained in an interview, "I believe ye is the most commonly." used word in the Bible. He believes that. He doesn't know that, okay. but he believes it. All right. yeah. I mean, it could the, be. I mean, in the King James, I don't know. I haven't counted again, that. I started a... counting them this morning, and I ran <laughs> up on time for the podcast. It was it was a narrow lead at that point between like... Again, he is a self-proclaimed non-reader of books, so yeah. he would not know. He said, yeah. uh, in the Bible, it means you. It went from being Kanye, which means, um, which means the only one to just yay, or ye, just being a reflection of our good, our bad, our confused, everything. It's more of a reflection of who we are as beings. I, I do think at least he's like making it not that he's like the God in this scenario. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's like, I, you know, trying to be representative of, you know, yeah. the, the flaws and confusion that humanity often goes through. I mean, I'm not saying he's a theologian, but it seems like a better approach than calling it Jesus. You know, he's been doing this a little bit lately, though, well, right? Sure. Like Life of Pablo was supposed to be a reference to Paul. And so, yeah, for some reason, he's he's trying to tie it back to the Bible. I just want a red hat that says make Ye great again. No, that that album make, was, make Kanye great again. That album was terrible, right? Can we agree? Dude, I, I don't know how he recovers from all this crazy that he's doing right now. Well, listen, how does he recover from their family being on Family Feud? Let's talk about that. How did they get Kanye to be on Family Feud? You I think recover. that might have been an you attempt recover to recover. from bad art. You cannot recover from Family Feud. No, no. Do you know the story? Is like I don't. He is like the world's biggest Family Feud fan. Like he watches it every night. And I think he what? reached out to them and said, "I my, it's my dream to be on the show. And See, this invited. is the thing about Kanye. He is like just a normal kind of nerdy dude. Like, like if you look at him and like, like I saw him on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, somebody posted a video of like, uh, he was at a dinner with friends and like somebody came up and did table magic and he's just kind of a goofy, yeah, kind of nerdy, <laughs> aw shucks kind of introvert. Yeah. yeah. And I think he puts up this big persona of, I want to be the creative genius and I want to, what and I don't know, it's a need for affirmation and stuff like that. But I think at the end of the day, he just wants to be on family feud. He's just out there living his life. He man. just wants people to like him to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. He's just out there living his yeah. best yeah. life. Being rich, doing things that we can't do, and just yeah, getting right. more, more, I mean, he's, more. He's one of the few of humans that could that could that could shoot an email to any game show in the world, and say, "Hey, I want to come on," and they'd be like, "All right, let's do it. Line it and up." Then prime all time. the Kardashians do it too. It's, I mean, listen, it's if strangest. Kanye had three hundred followers on Twitter, he'd be doing the exact same. He'd be tweeting the exact same things that he is yeah, right now. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That is true. I want to see. I want to see Kanye and the Kardashians go on every game show. Like after watching their <laughs> oh, Family yeah. Feud, I'm like, okay, I have going Jeopardy I, next. Like, wipe out. Yeah, wipe out American <laughs> Ninja Warrior, Wheel of Fortune, <laughs> the whole gambit. I want to see them do it, and I, I, it's a rating. It's a ratings bonanza. They could. I mean, any game show could pay them. They could throw a number at the game show, and they'd be like, okay, deal, because like 20 million people are going to watch this. It's, if if the Kardashians and the West were on a specially designed American Ninja Warrior course, then they could plausibly <laughs> you compete. Imagine if, if they could plausibly <laughs> plausibly compete. Complete. Not like this one, because I. I don't think any, this isn't any shade, but you got to be like a super elite athlete to get even yeah, like yeah, a third yeah. of the way you through do. it. 
But yeah. they had one that like an average Joe on a good day could maybe get through, not without struggling and not without risking right. falling into that icy pool. But if they design one <laughs> and the in the West and the Kardashians were going to be on it, who's not watching? Everyone yeah. on everyone right. in America is watching. I, I right. my, the 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 channel that my TV default turns on to is the channel that around dinner time plays Family Feud. Yeah, and so like over the last few months like i've seen more episodes of family feud than i've seen in my entire life number one steve harvey's fantastic he is hilarious yeah. but I mean, can i say I, this though is is half of every episode of family feud uh steve harvey making exasperated faces just, off, yeah, just sure, looking off camera sure. like they'll say something and sometimes he'll keep the exasperated uh, face and do and like do a, a pace around the podium for a minute while the audience <laughs> yeah. just laughs it's he doesn't need jokes all he needs is his face and it's that that's all that a good host of family feud needs I wonder if there's a YouTube supercut of Steve Harvey's exasperated faces. It would be like 27 hours long. <laughs> you know, I, I like you definitely get the sense when you watch it that he just just walked out of the green room. No, he didn't even think about the show. No preparation. He has d- doesn't know what's going on. He's figuring it out while he's on the stage. You know yep, what I mean? Like, yep. like he's just kind of winging it the whole show. Just. <laughs> This is great. My favorite episode of my favorite sketch of SNL from last year is still the one where Chance the Rapper went on Family Feud, the the Family Feud, and he's like Steve Harvey's secret love child. And he has like the big Steve Harvey mustache. He's got the suit. When (laughs) they cut over, they're introducing every member of the family. And they're like, their other son, you know, uh, Jacob. And he's like, what up, playa? And the way that Chance (laughs) delivered it was so much like Steve Harvey. It it was, that was my favorite sketch of the whole year. It was really funny. All right, well, that'll do it for In Case You Missed It. Stay tuned. Up next, Jamie Torkowski joins us. I wish you were feeling so sad. I feel what you do. I got that for you. Oh, I shouldn't be so bothered by you. I'll probably be okay if you just went away. Yeah. Time I spent just trying to grow with you Baby, I was out of it But you weren't there You weren't there You're listening to Omar Apollo. The song is Erase. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard the new one from Hillsong Young and Free, their new single. It's called Just Jesus. Jamie Torkowski is an author, speaker, advocate, and founder of the organization To Write Love on Our Arms, a nonprofit that focuses on suicide prevention efforts and mental health advocacy. He's also now doing a thing called Heart Camp. He's, yeah. he's, if you talk to Jamie, he's doing less and less with To Write Love. He's like kind of entering a new season. I mean, he's the founder. He's still yeah. involved, obviously, but he's doing some other things. The Heart Camp. He just did one in LA. He's about to do one in Nashville. Yeah, he is. Um, it's just interesting. I, I love seeing him. Man, his episode of Fun Therapy is one of my very favorite podcast episodes I've listened to. He is so brilliant and he's so, I mean, the way Jamie talks to people in general is this, but he is so giving in the whole conversation on Fun Therapy where he's just being real honest and making you feel really welcome to feel what you feel. I just, I'm really grateful for his voice. Yeah. Well, this week, a suicide has entered back in the national dialogue following the deaths of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. We talked with Jamie about what to do when you or someone you love is facing depression and why it's so important to destigmatize mental health issues. Here is Jamie Torkowski. 
A lot of people were saying last week after kind of the news came out about Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain is that they were kind of surprised because they they seem successful and happy, at least outwardly. Do you think that a lot of people still have misconceptions about what depression can look like? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there are misconceptions. I, I definitely, it, it, on a certain level, it totally makes sense because you think these people had money, they had, you know, influence, they were probably living their dreams in terms of living with purpose and, and doing a career that they were excited about. And they had so many things going for them. Um, and yet the reality, and, and I think we heard this so many times last week, is just that you never know. You never know how someone is really feeling and, and how much someone might be really struggling or really hurting. And and in a way, I think it makes it a very even playing field where uh, being a celebrity or being successful um, does not mean that you're immune to mental illness or even specifically to depression. And I think last week reminds us that these are issues that can touch absolutely anyone. I, I think part of what is is scary for a lot of people, it's, you know, if they can't recognize it on someone who's like high profile, it's like, well, how can I recognize it in my friends or my family or people that I'm close to? How do I know if they're struggling? Is there ways that you encourage people to kind of identify warning signs or kind of engage conversations to to let, you know, for, for people to be able to let their loved ones know that there's help if they are struggling? Yeah, and I, I think there's an interesting, something that I noticed last week that I thought was interesting was everyone's reaction, even to Anthony Bourdain specifically, you know, fans' reaction was shock and surprise because this was a guy that seemed so cool, so likable, um, was absolutely seemed to be, you know, doing this career that was amazing that so many people would dream of having. But then you also started to hear from people who did know him, people who had actual relationships that, that he was struggling, that there was darkness that the average fan would never know about. And I think what it actually points to is the value of relationships. You know, that, that I think that's the thing we come back to over and over. And I think that's the nature of your question is just how do we look out for the people that we are actually connected to, that we do life yeah. with. And and I think oftentimes, and um, you know, depression can show up in, in so many different ways. And, and so we love to remind people just the value of a consistent relationship, an honest relationship. I mean, for some people, it can be their sleeping habits. For other people, it's their diet. It's, it's uh, maybe they used to be social and they begin to isolate. When we really know someone, I think it gives us the best chance to, to notice when their behavior begins to change. You know, when, when someone, you hear something or you notice something or even just body language or someone being quiet, we, when we have a sense of kind of what they're, who they are and who they are when they're healthy, I think that gives us a chance to, to speak up and, and say something when we are concerned. But I, I, I think in terms of specifically, it can touch so many different aspects of life and and i think we love to just encourage people if you're concerned or even if you're not concerned even if you just want to be a good friend i think we have to keep checking in and just have to come back to that question hey how are you how are you really doing what what's really going on 
beyond social media, beyond work, beyond the good news or the highlights? Like, how how are you really doing? On the flip side of that, I feel like there are probably a lot of people that wish that people would ask him that question, that maybe they don't have the comfort level to say, hey, man, I'm struggling or, or I need help. For those people who are, have kind of found themselves in, in maybe a dark place and they don't have anyone kind of reaching out, what would you encourage them to do? I think the first thing that comes to mind is counseling. Um, mm. I show up every single week for an hour and the only, it's kind of like, that's exactly what we're there for is, is for my counselor to ask those hard questions and to sit and listen and, and obviously to offer guidance and help me process as well. But, but I understand that feeling of either not having friends or needing more help than our friends can provide. And so mm. I think we, we love to just point people to mental health professionals and also in moments of crisis, knowing uh, one resource we point to all the time is Crisis Text Line, where at any hour of the day, you can send a text to 741-741, and you'll get a response basically instantly from a trained crisis counselor. And so if someone is hurting, if they're feeling alone, they can simply send a text and, and all of a sudden, you know, a moment later, they are not alone. There's another voice. There's another perspective. And... Um, and then I think too, you know, we're, this is the relevant podcast. I, I think the hope would be that the church would be part of the solution, that people who feel alone, people who feel isolated, people who are hurting or struggling could find a home at a local church, you know, could walk in mm. and feel seen and feel known and feel like they don't have to perform. They don't have to be cool. They don't have to be successful. They That that could be another place where where I can walk in and and fall apart you know i can i can walk mm. in and find people who even if they can't specifically meet my needs they can be a part of the process of those needs being met and for people who may not know uh, about all the things that uh, to write love in our arms offers tell a little tell people a little bit about uh what they can find at the website and what resources are available to them yeah so we got our start back in 2006 just trying to tell a story and trying to help a friend in Orlando at the time, obviously where, where Relevant started and where Relevant continues. And social media has really been our home base ever since. And over the years, we've been able to use it to be a source of hope, a source of encouragement, a source of resources. Uh, we've been able to give more than $2 million that's gone to treatment and counseling and professional help across the U.S. and outside of the country as well. We get to spend a lot of time on the road. There's over a hundred different physical face-to-face -face events where we get to hit the road and meet people where they are, often music festivals and tours, college campuses, high schools, churches, uh, and, and essentially just to continue to invite people into the conversation that you and I are having right now. Uh, so they'll find blogs, they'll find everything from national hotlines to local counseling offices. Uh, more information about these issues and more information about how to get involved as well. And, and you're doing something else cool. I've been following on Twitter. You know, we obviously we follow each other and I, I've seen you talk a lot about Heart Camp. Tell me a little bit about what's involved with Heart Camp. Yeah, so Heart Camp is just kind of a side project workshop. You know, I, I have had the privilege of people asking me questions over the years and people being curious about my story or my work or, or things I've learned 
not just like the fun highlights, but also the, you know, the challenges and things I wish I had done different. And, and I just had this idea of, man, I, I wish I could kind of have a place in a couple of days where we could have those conversations, like where it could be more than a tweet or just a moment after an event. And so Heart Camp, each time it's, it's right around 40 people. And we just sort of have this two day conversation and uh, I lead most of the sessions, but then we always bring in a mental health professional. We always bring in a spoken word poet and kind of invite people to talk about what they really want to do. It's a lot of people in transition, navigating career changes and life changes. And I think essentially people who want to make an impact, they want to bring their heart to work, they want to communicate and really wrestling through how do I how do I do that? Sometimes it's people starting organizations or someone who wants to make writing more of a priority, but it, it's been really cool. And I think my favorite surprise has just been seeing people connect and find friends and seeing those friendships mm. continue months later. That's awesome, man. If people want to find out more about Heart Camp, where, where's the best place for them to go? So the website is heartcampwithjamie.com. Awesome. And also, I need to tell people too, uh, if you feel too much, I think it's been out, it's been like two years now? It's actually been three. Three. Man, time flies. <laughs> well, uh, definitely encourage people to check it out. Incredible book, some incredible stories in there. And Jamie, man, we appreciate everything uh, that you've done over the years and everything you're doing. The, the impact that you've had is just unbelievable and really have for, a, for more than a decade now been a leader in kind of helping people navigate this conversation and pointing them to resources uh, and, and to get the help that they need. And we really appreciate you, man. Oh, thanks, Jesse. It's, it's an honor. That was Jamie Trokowski. Make sure to check out Try Love in Her Arms and um, follow him on Twitter at Jamie Trokowski. Up next, your feedback. You're listening to Maddie. The song is clear. Unless you had digital noise or problem with your download, then the song yeah. wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. It's a little, 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 little staticky. <laughs> little staticky. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Uh, hey, it's time for your feedback. Uh, last week for the question of the week, we asked you, okay, well, we got talking about beefs. We got talking about uh, who were who the, the two Christians that were beefing? Natalie Grant and Sandy Patty. No, 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 that, that was a, no we, it was sparked because of the Pusha T. That's uh, right. That's uh, it. That's uh, it. and Drake. Yeah, that's but right. But now that's it's right. Wendy's IHOP. And and I did appreciate <laughs> some of our African American listeners tweeting that it is a unique experience hearing four white people talk about a hip hop beef. Um, so <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. Um, anyway, got us talking about beefs, and we asked you for the question week: What Christian celebrity beef? do you want to see happen and what would they be beefing about okay did y'all see aubrey does this is this is my favorite one so far she said i can't believe you guys forgot about john rubin john rubin oh, what is he wow. doing i mean i haven't thought about that i haven't thought about that in a decade probably but she wants a battle between john rubin and toby mack about oh. to see who is listed as most comparable to Macklemore 
on a youth group poster comparing like comp- comparing Macklemore to Toby Mac or John yeah, Rubin. If you like Macklemore, you'll like. Right, right, right. Where no, is I... John Rubin in the world? Hmm. He was living in Ohio. He's just living his best best life. I Are mean, you still friends with him, Cameron? I, I say still. I assume there was a point when you and John Rubin totally rolled. I mean. We had each other's number, but I mean, we didn't like hang, hang. For sure, you know, I knew it. That kind I knew of it. Uh, Do you still have it? Will you text him right now on the show? <laughs> yeah, I could text him uh, unless he's changed his number. I don't know. Um, Let's try the, uh, the he's he's still doing music. He's still doing his thing. He's just living his life. I, I like this one. Uh, Brett said, uh, <laughs> "Why are there so many white Christian rappers?" You had KJ fifty two, KJ five two. You had, you know, obviously Toby Mac was the OG. Uh-huh. You had John Rubin. Yeah. I mean, right what now you've got doing, NF, man? who sounds exactly like Eminem. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like yeah. I mean, you had a couple of guys in Ellie Symphony, Flynn. I mean, yet you, you got a lot of white Christian rappers. Yeah, I yeah. I don't think I've ever thought about this until this moment. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe we should get them all beefing. Get them all beefing. <laughs> get them like all who's beefing. The cr- like who's the... What, well, there was another one. B something. What's the other one? B-Rad. B-Rad. He was fictional. Yes. He was... B- no, no, no. B-Rad. B-rad. No, you're exactly right, though. That's it. B-Rad. It was what? not... No, B- there's nobody named B Rad. B Rad, B Rad was it? B Rad was um, no, no, no. I'm, I heard you wrong. There is. That's how it starts. Yeah, Hold on, I'm about to Google it. B Rice, that's his name. Did uh, I get it? Oh, was he a rapper? Well, you also had like you also had like Carmen throughout a couple of tracks in the early '90s. You also had the Brian Duncan track we played. Okay, but but, uh, but, but Carmen, yeah, Carmen, Chapman, was, Carmen's rap was always like, "Yo, my name is Carmen, and I'm here to say." <laughs> like it was barely rap. It was it was it was going to get those demons. It was unintentional. <laughs> it was unintentional rap parody, is what uh-huh, Carmen's uh-huh, rap was. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Brad, yeah, B Rad was Jamie Kennedy's uh, character right. in Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy, whatever happened to that guy? What you talking about? Whatever happened to KJ five two? Whatever happened to Jamie Kennedy? Remember the K- Jamie Kennedy experience? He's getting people axed all the time. It was great. It was hilarious. I love candid. I love candid prank shows. I do you really? Hey, well, I hated what, those who, shows. Why is really? Netflix sleeping on this? Like, if they brought back the Jamie Kennedy experience, who's at least not giving it a whirl? Who's at least not giving it two episodes? This oh, guy is. That- Oh, those, those, uh, the payoff was never good. I, I, it's like an entire episode for this one kind of lame, overproduced prank. You like those shows? What about candid? Okay. What about old of school candid camera? Does, camera? What about old school candid camera? You wouldn't I pay just to see hate, that back on the air? Dude, my least favorite part of The Office, and I love The Office, is when Michael Scott would do things to make people uncomfortable like Scott's tots. Yeah. Like, I felt more <laughs> for those kids in the room and the awkwardness. And so, watching Candy Cameron and yeah. stuff like that, I no, just can't that's handle even better because real people. Yeah. It's real people. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, the only thing close, the only thing close is that show on like MSNBC uh, that's called What Would You Do? And except there's no yeah. joke in it. There's no humor. No. It's just people oh, it's in awful. like a horrible scenario. And, yes. and like they just want to see what some bystander will do. And if they do nothing, like, like somebody saying something verbally abusive at a restaurant or yes. somebody like the mom walks away and the kid takes money out of her purse. Yeah. The mom or comes shoplifting back and another, or something. And somebody awful. saw it. The thing that I don't get about that show is they didn't have to sign the, the waiver. 
I think the same so thing, Cameron. Why? Exa- exactly. Put them on blast. I've started living every day. Like, like, what would you do with that? With why? The guy if saying? you were exposed to be yes. a horrible person, and and they come, the camera crew comes and says, "Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you stop that violence? Why didn't you do the thing?" And they're like, "Oh, because I don't know." And then oh, please sign this and waiver sign so this. America can see what a terrible person you are. Okay, yes. I get to be on TV. I mean, it's like what in the yeah. world. I have literally I'm here for it. That's why I've lived every moment since I first encountered the show as if it, because because technically it's true that this could be an episode of what would you do? And I, I now that means I'm a vigilante. I go and I try to prevent crimes. I'm living a life of real life superhero. Maybe one day my antics will be revealed. And what would you do? But I love it. I love that kind of show. And I think. Again, there's no, there is nothing on TV that has the candy camera real time pranks like, like I used to love. I, I don't, I don't get it. The whole genre has just disappeared. Someone needs to bring it back. So did you love like punked? Oh, who didn't love punk? Cameron Andre, you tell me you didn't watch punked and laughed? I did. I it just, it just wasn't my thing. I mean, I saw I it, it, but it was it wasn't. so funny. Yeah, I was. did watch Punked. That was before I had a conscience. Um, oh I my! <laughs> I know. I like. I I grew up like just somewhere along the line. I started having like a very low tolerance for seeing people get embarrass themselves yeah. or get picked on like or that. kind of mocked. Even though it was the celebrities and they were always usually friends, that's why I actually liked Punked. Is I thought this is actually friendship stuff that's happening. Yeah, were they always friends? I just I, to me In it's my almost mind, like Andre, I'm an Instagram <laughs> seven. Everybody's friends. You know? It's almost like we're gonna make fun of you. And we're gonna make fun of you and then like laugh about it. And you have to like be okay. It's like there's always a victim. Like I hated the victim stuff. Yeah, like, I don't care. I don't know. I don't, I don't like bullying either, Jesse. <laughs> hey, it's Chandler from Friends. He'll get over it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he's still a person. <laughs> look, look. They just sent. They just sent two hundred pizzas to the studio where the Backstreet Boys are recording and are making them pay for it. It's comedy. It's comedy. Yeah. The Backstreet Boys will recover from having to decide who order who pays for these pizzas. I'm just yeah. saying it, it was it was great entertainment and it's totally gone away. I think because you know people are too concerned about people's feelings and I think we need a Jamie Kennedy or an. Give give the Von Dutch hat back to Ashton Kutcher and say, listen, yeah, <laughs> listen, America needs to see some of these pranks right now. You know, you know what? I actually wonder if just like, you know, obviously the humor appetites and national appetites and what's OK and what's not changes. You know, I mean, like one yeah. of the things you know, I mentioned over, over the months I've been watching all these old 70s and 80s sitcoms. I mean, there's so much of those humor and stereotype characters and yeah, stuff that like sure. you could never bring back. Yeah. Appetites change. Society evolves. I don't know, man, with the whole bullying conversation and, you know, like that we could not do a prank show at all. You don't think because it's so bullying. I don't know. I just wonder if there's just not a national appetite for it anymore. Maybe you know? mm. if it's celebrities, if it's ce- if it's celebrities, then it's OK, because we've all learned they're not people. <laughs> I think that what Annie said would be key, that it would have to be celebrity friends pranking each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to hang out head, That's always what punked was, was just a bunch of buddies pranking each other that are all rich and famous. What about that show like Impractical Jokers or something like yeah. that, right? Like people, that's people watch stuff like that, yeah. I think They still. watch it on the Spike yeah, channel. Okay, how yeah. about this? How about this? This is a pitch that I'm going to do to like ESPN. Okay. It's, this is punked in NBA locker rooms. And you have you have like a Madra shot or someone everybody knows and he's or, he's the prank master, right? And the ageless Ahmad Rashad. <laughs> I love Ahmad Rashad. He looks the exact same from 1984 to now. 
It's amazing. He's like Pharrell. Yeah. He's like, or Ashton Kutcher. Those guys, He's I can see a picture of them. Pharrell. Pharrell. <laughs> I can see a picture of them like 15 years apart. I'm like, I don't know which one is which. It's incredible. Right. Um, but you have Ahmad Rashad. A lot of moisture. And he's like, okay, today we're going to the Cleveland Cavs, Cavs locker room and they're all going to punk LeBron. You're not in for that. Every Like a sports version of punked, everyone would watch. But there has to be a victim. I don't like it. But the victim's LeBron. Poor LeBron. LeBron's sensitive, man. <laughs> oh, my man. gosh. Cameron, I've never seen this side of you. Hey, Annie, the Lord's really been working on my heart. I'm just in a sensitive place right now. Very tender. So. I've got, I've got a lot of feelings. Tender. You're injured. I, I'm, cry- I'm driving into work, listening to worship music with tears in my eyes, and then you coming in wanting to prank everybody. I mean, it's just like, just have some empathy, man. Have a heart. So, so you're saying you're not in for an elaborate prank uh, that could or could or not be taking place directly after this podcast involving my entire staff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hang on. Hey, guys, can you hang on one sec? I got to send a quick email. Uh, uh, the pizza place, 200. You got to cancel that. <laughs> Someone's. Uh, all right. Come on. More feedback. Where There's a lot more. There's oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Christian Battle, Carmen and Kevin Sorbo. Sorbo steals uh, uh, Carmen's spotlight. This has already happened. Sorbo's in all those God's Not Dead movies, or he's in a bunch of Christian yeah. movies. He's like the go-to. He's the new Carmen. I think I do think Carmen and Kevo's, Kevin Sor- Sorbo beefing would be good. You know, I'd like to see... I, because they are kind of similar, but you wouldn't think about it until you saw their beef and realize no wonder they're fighting. But when you, but when you're like casting your Christian movie, you know, for very limited budget, mm-hmm. and you're thinking I could get a Hollywood star, he played Hercules. You're gonna yeah. cast him every time, so he's getting yeah. every role. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Carmen's out. Yeah, well, exactly. Here's what. Here's my thing: a celebrity boxing match. Throw those two hunks in the ring and let them duke it out, and we'll decide who gets all the roles from here on. Carmen or Sorbo. <laughs> I, I think it'd be. Uh, I think watching Carmen's two celebrities. Uh, is a champion. Punch each other would be way harder than watch yeah. them prank each other. Boxing is a is a gentleman's game, and if they signed <laughs> up for it, I'm telling you, what happened to you guys? You wouldn't watch Carmen. Your feelings, your feelings are too sensitive to watch Carmen and Kevin Sorbo box voluntarily. I want to watch them both get punked and see who handles it better. That's what I want to watch. That's oh, the beef I, I want. See, I, I want just them feel to bad prank for each other. Them. A prank war. Between Carmen and Kevin Sorbo. I couldn't see Carmen losing his cool on somebody in that way. But I could. I could you tot- couldn't? I couldn't. He's Italian. <laughs> I mean, he's, I could see what that. What a strange can, thing to say. What a strange <laughs> I mean, he's the Italian stallion. You don't mess with it. I mean, like, I could see him snapping is what I'm saying. Really? Yeah. I could, like, let's say, like, you went up and tried to tussle his hair. Yeah. He's mm. leveling you. Mm, don't touch the hair. That's what I'm saying. You like, well, I, 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 like so, I so you orchestrate a prank where someone has stolen his, you know, his car, which I can only assume is like an old muscle car that he has out in the driveway. <laughs> For sure it is. And For like, sure it is. Her, it, it, Sorbo, Sorbo orchestrates something where he comes outside and it's peeling off. Do you think Carmen, I don't see Carmen freaking out. I see him giving chase. Other way, I see Carmen losing it. I think, I think his, <laughs> I think the the the, bo- the the blood boils right under the surface, and very small things set him off. I think bad service at a restaurant. He's and Sorbo is just driving away in his car, just laughing. Yeah, and Sorbo is just maniacally laughing. Yeah, he's just over it. He's, he's Gary Busing this thing. You, you can't wow. you can't peg Sorbo. I mean, yeah. Yeah, what I don't understand is you guys are acting like this wouldn't be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it would be awesome. So, what's the prank that Car- Carmen's going to do back to Sorbo, Jesse? 
What's I the, think I think, that, I think it depends he's, if Sorbo goes first. Carmen just walks right up and punches Kevin Sorbo in the stomach as hard as they can. <laughs> and that's the prank. And he says, joke's on you. Oh, then you get both. We get the pranks and the boxing. Kermit doesn't get the nuance. He didn't get the dance. Doesn't understand. Like, yeah. That's not a prank. That's just, <laughs> oh, that's just, just that's just assault. That's just hitting someone. That's literally hitting someone. <laughs> that's literally, you just punched Kevin Sorbo in the stomach for no apparent reason. <laughs> There's no irony you got in the fact that you punched, punched him in the stomach. <laughs> Well, there's a lot more feedback where that came from. Go check it out um, at Relevant Podcast on Twitter or on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Well, earlier in the show, we were talking about um, the Kardashian family, the West Kardashians' uh, appearance on Family Feud. And it got us thinking, uh, I've never been on a game show. Have any of y'all? I have not. Yeah, but I'm sure some of you listening have, and we want to know your yeah. experience. So if you've been on a game show, write us and tell us about your game show experience. Can we extend it to people who like audition for a game show too? And oh, something yeah, interesting happened? Because sure. I know there's some stories of people trying to get on like survival. How or do something. you, what do you mean? How do you do? You have to like make a video of yourself or something? Yeah, I don't know if you have to make a video or what. I just think there's got to be some, some people have had some interesting experiences trying to get on game shows in The Bachelor. Yeah, these are these are the kind of stories I want. I want to hear. So I want you to hear want you don't scenes, want. Yeah. Oh, I went on Jeopardy and I won twelve thousand dollars. No, I do want that because I want to know do. what they do with that money. I do, yeah, but yeah. I want to extend it because I don't you know how many people failed did. attempts. <laughs> failed attempts to try to get on a game show. If something funny happened, not just like I posted a YouTube video to get on the Amazing Race or something. No, but if I want to know if someone made twelve thousand yeah. dollars, I want you to tell us that you walked away from Jeopardy with twelve thousand dollars in yeah. your pocket and yeah, what you true. did with it. That's true. Hit us up on Twitter. At relevant podcast or you can post your longer stories on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Many thanks to our guests for joining us. You can check out Jamie Tworkowski's book. It's out now. It's a New York Times bestseller if you feel too much. Um, you can also check out all the resources at uh, that to write love has at twloha.com to write love on her arms the acronym T. T-W-L-O-H-A.com. And follow him on Twitter at Jamie Torkowski. He's gotten a little outspoken in the last couple of years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. like it. I like it. Old. <laughs> a, little, a little edgy Jamie. I like it. He's honest. I like it. While you're online, uh, head over to iTunes. And if you like the show, leave a review. It helps other people find it. And uh, if you don't like it, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> um, on that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Andre Henry. I'm Clark Flippo. Hey, there's Clark. I forgot he was there. <laughs> Clark, nice work, man. Appreciate I'm you. Jesse Carey. And I'm Annie F. Downs. We'll see you guys on Friday. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from the Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe.
you just punched Kevin Sorbo in the stomach for no apparent reason. Relevant Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.